I'm Mary Shelley, the author of tonight's story and your very own host for this eerie evening. I shall be your guide through a tale of horror and humanity, a journey that begins in the farthest reaches of the known world and the darkest corners of scientific curiosity. So, dim the lights, lock your doors, and prepare yourselves for a spine-tingling journey into the unknown. Welcome to Frankenstein! We sat motionless for hours, surrounded by ice and fog on all sides. When the mist finally began to clear, we beheld, stretched out in every direction, vast and irregular plains of ice. Captain! Aye? Look! Over there! Look at the size of him! Is it even human? What the devil is he doing? I ran to the rail and saw it. A low carriage fixed on a sled and drawn by dogs. The driver was a man, gigantic in stature. His progress was rapid, and we watched with wonder as he journeyed further north, eventually disappearing amidst the ice. How very strange! Alas, he's passed beyond the horizon. No way of speaking with him now. I'm going below for some rest. Wake me when the ice begins to break. Aye, aye, Captain. Captain! Captain! Yes! What is it? The ice broke, sir. Ah, good. And? We found another sled? What? It drifted up against the ship on a large fragment of ice. The same sled from before? No, sir. This one was different. The poor dogs were all dead. And there was a man, nearly frozen and half-conscious, inside. We brought him on board and we're bringing him down here now. Slowly, slowly! Don't drop him! Carefully, men, carefully. Put him over there. How did he survive without help? And this far north? (coughs) Where am I? On board a ship. The good ship, Prometheus. Bound for where? The northern pole. Good. That's good. Here are blankets, sir. Blankets and wine. Thank you. Set them there. Right, sir. Here, make yourself comfortable. I am Robert Walton, the captain of this ship. Victor. Victor Frankenstein. Are you an explorer? No. I seek one who fled from me. I see. This person, does he travel in the same fashion? By sled, yes. And I fancy we have seen him. What? You have... (laughs) Where? Where? When? Here. Here. Drink this. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Please, you must tell me when you saw him. Why, just last night, we saw a sled with a man in it. A giant of a man, traveling across the ice. He was bound north. Why, yes. Good. That's good. Who is he? And why, pray tell, are you pursuing him? I'm sorry. A man's business is his own. (laughs) It is no matter. I have doubtless excited your curiosity. 
I find myself in this mortal pursuit because it is my fate. Your fate? Indeed. You are an explorer, yes? I am. You seek for knowledge and wisdom as I once did. And yet it was my ambition that brought about my ruin. I hope your ambition does not do the same. I should like to hear your story. Only, however, if it does not renew your griefs. Well, my fate is nearly sealed. Nothing can alter my destiny. You may listen to my history, and you will see how inevitably it has been determined. I am, by birth, a gentleman, and my family's reputation was one of respectability and distinguishment. Despite the many vocations of my parents, my mother and father seemed to draw from inexhaustible stores of affection for me. My dear Victor, such a mind you have. My darling boy, what joy you bring to my life. No human being could have passed a happier childhood than myself. And my days were spent in the company of my dearest friends Henrietta Clerval and Elizabeth Lavenza. Victor, you must act the part of Arthur. And I shall play the Lady of the Lake. No, no, Clerval. You are a better Arthur than I am. I shall play Sir Bedivere. Clerval was the daughter of a merchant and was a child of singular talent and fancy. She was deeply read in books about chivalry and knighthood, and she loved to compose heroic adventures. Well, if you insist, I suppose I shall play Arthur. Long live the king! <laughs> yes, indeed. Long live King Arthur. <laughs> and Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth was loved by all who knew her. Calm by nature and curious by disposition, she busied herself with poetry and an admiration for the natural world. My bounty is as boundless as the sea. My love is deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have, for both are infinite. Victor, are you listening? Have you ever heard anything so beautiful? Hmm? What? Uh, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, indeed. Beautiful. Harmony was the very soul of our relationship. No word, no expression could body forth the kind of relation in which she stood to me. My more than heart. Meanwhile, my disposition was that of a passionate young child. I was filled with an eager desire to learn. And yet I must confess that neither languages nor politics appealed to me. Rather, you see, it was the secrets of heaven and earth that I desired to discover. Father! I have made my choice. I should like to read Cornelius Agrippa. Cornelius Agrippa? My dear Victor, do not waste your time upon Agrippa. Let us instead introduce you to the modern systems of science. These men possess much greater power than the ancients. Yes, Father. There's a good lad. Yet I continued to read and study the wild fancies of these ancient writers with delight. They appeared to me as treasures known to few besides myself. There was nothing that could stopper my curiosity. By the time I turned 17, my parents resolved that I should become a student at the university. Despite my local education, my father thought it necessary that I be acquainted with customs outside of my own. I also suspected that he had grown concerned at my obsession with the ancients, 
and was hopeful that an education in modern science might finally capture my attention. The date for my departure was set when the first misfortune of my life occurred. My mother fell sick with scarlet fever. <coughs> Here, mother, drink <clears throat> some water. Thank you, my love. <clears throat> my dearest Victor, come closer. I must speak to you about something. Yes, mother. Victor, the firmest hope of my happiness rests upon a desired union between you and Elizabeth. Will you please make her your bride? <sighs> now, now, no need to blush. <laughs> <coughs> Please, my dear Victor, it will be a true consolation to your father and brother, and I may pass peacefully knowing that you shall all be together. Of course, mother. Of course. That's a smart boy. I know that you two shall make each other very happy indeed. <laughs> and so my mother died calmly, and her countenance expressed affection even in death. In spite of my sadness, my heart soared at the prospect of matrimony with Elizabeth. She and I resolved to wed as soon as I returned from the university, and I set forth to school with a mixture of grief and joy in my heart. Farewell, my son. Your absence shall be deeply felt, and yet we will look forward to your letters. Farewell, father. I shall miss you, Victor, who will read to me before bedtime. I will, William. Don't cry. Oh, Victor, please write to us often, for it shall never be enough. We will miss you desperately. I will miss you desperately. I will miss you too. I will miss you all. I climbed into my carriage and dared not look back. Not upon my father, not upon my sweet brother William, and not upon my dearest Elizabeth. Little could I know that it would be the last time I ever saw William or my father. Little could I know what horrors lay ahead. After a three-day journey, the high white steeple of the university town met my eyes. My hope and spirits rose with each passing minute. I, Victor Frankenstein, ardently desired the acquisition of knowledge and had long desired to enter the world and take my station among other human beings. Now, my desires were my reality. After a brief visit to my solitary living quarters, I decided to pay an immediate visit to one of my principal professors. Professor Waldman? Why, yes, I'm Professor Waldman. How may I help you, young man? Professor Waldman. My name is Victor Frankenstein. I apologize if I've interrupted your reading, but I wanted to introduce myself. I shall be one of your newest pupils. Frankenstein? Yes, I've heard the name. It is a pleasure to make your acquaintance. So tell me, young Frankenstein, what brings you to our school? Well, I suppose I should be rather ashamed to admit it, but I have spent very little time studying the modern masters of science. Make no mistake, my love of discovery and natural philosophy has been palpable since I was a child. Yet my studies have been primarily spent with the likes of Albertus Magnus and Paracelsus. In truth, 
my father sent me here with the sincere hope of broadening my knowledge. Thankfully, for him, my thirst for knowledge is insatiable. Hmm. Ah, I see. A noble enterprise. My dear Frankenstein, the ancient teachers of science promised impossibilities and performed nothing. Meanwhile, the modern masters promise very little. Instead, they penetrate the recesses of nature and show us how she works in her hiding places. They acquire new and almost unlimited powers. They can command the heavens of thunder, mimic the earthquake, and even mock the invisible world with its own shadows. Yet, we would not have the modern masters without Magnus and Paracelsus. The labors of men of genius, however erroneously directed, scarcely fail in turning to the solid advantage of mankind. I must confess, sir, that I find your reasoning to be a comfort. I cannot believe that my time spent with the ancients has been in vain. And while much has been done, sir, I hope to achieve even more. Treading in the steps already marked, I hope to pioneer a new way forward. I should like to explore unknown powers and unfold to the world the deepest mysteries of creation. Well then, I am happy to have gained a new pupil in you, Frankenstein. If your application equals your ability, I have no doubt of your success. And so, it was after this initial meeting that I found a true friend and mentor in Professor Waldman. His lessons were never tinged with dogmatism, and his instructions were always given with an air of frankness and good nature. And thus, gentlemen, it is but true explorers that can conceive of the enticements of science. In other studies, you may go as far as others have gone before you. But in a scientific pursuit, there is continual food for discovery and wonder. While my application was initially unsteady, it quickly gained strength. And I soon became so impassioned with my studies and experiments that the stars would disappear from the morning sky before I emerged from my laboratory. No, no, that doesn't make sense. Perhaps if I... Damn it! One of the phenomena which had particularly begun to attract my attention was the structure of the human frame, and indeed any animal infused with life. When, I often asked myself, did the principle of life begin? And how could one reanimate it after death? I quickly became acquainted with the science of anatomy, but found that it was insufficient. I must also observe the natural decay and corruption of the human body. And thus, cemeteries and mausoleums became to me a second home. Darkness had no effect upon my fancy, and churchyards were merely the receptacle of bodies deprived of life, food for carrion beetles. I saw how the worm inherited the wonders of the eye and the brain, how the body began to bloat and leak, how the flesh would shrivel and putrefy and how the smell infected all that it encountered. I examined, studied, and analyzed the corruption of death until my cheeks grew pale and my body wasted away. Until, from the midst of this darkness, a sudden light broke in upon me. A light so brilliant and wondrous that I became dizzy with its immensity. 
The surprise that I alone should be reserved to discover so astonishing a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Hear me, you gods! <laughs> and up, up we go! Blow, winds, crack your cheeks! Rage, blow, you cataracts and hurricanoes! Spout till you have drenched our steeples, drowned the clocks! <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> and now, now, down, down, down he goes. And the rest is silent. And now we... Damn, where is it? Ah, there you are. There you are. At last, the moment of truth. It worked. <laughs> it worked! How can I describe my emotions at this catastrophe? The initial moments were ecstasy, joy, rapture. But they were soon followed by horror. <gasps> I had selected his features to be beautiful. His limbs were in proportion to his body. His hair was a lustrous black and his teeth were pearly white. But as I stared at the creature laying in front of me, I determined that a mummy suffused with animation could not be so hideous as this poor wretch. His skin scarcely covered the work of muscles and arteries beneath, and his dull yellow eyes began to flutter with life. Oh, God. Oh, God. Please forgive me. Victor Frankenstein, what have you done? No, 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 no. Don't move. You monster. You demon. Don't come any closer. Stay away. I said, stay away from me. I ran from my laboratory with disgust, half mad, half exhausted. What had I done? Dreams that had been my food and pleasant sleep for so long had now become a hell to me. And the change was so rapid, the overthrow so complete. I roamed the streets without a clear conception of where I was or what I was doing. My heart palpitated with the sickness of fear, and I hurried on with irregular steps, not daring to look over my shoulder. As the morning began to dawn... I wound my way slowly in the direction of my apartments. What could I do next? Where could I go? A sudden thought flashed inside my head. I must pay a visit to Professor Waldman. I must speak with a fellow man of science. Professor Waldman. Oh, Victor, my dear boy, you frightened me. I'm doing a bit of reading on the subject of mathematics. Oh. How fascinating. Professor, I'm so sorry to have disturbed you. Perhaps uh, I should no, leave. No, 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 no. Quite all right, quite all right indeed. But tell me, pupil mine, are you quite all right? Oh. Well, I'm honestly not sure. Professor, 
There is a subject that has weighed heavily on my mind as of late, and I should like to hear your thoughts. Yes, I would be most happy to oblige. As a man of science and theory, do you feel compelled to challenge the natural order of things, or at least to question it? I'm afraid I don't quite understand your meaning. Well, suppose, for example, that you uncovered the power to create life itself. Some might assume that your innate desires stem from the need to play God or to take control of the higher order, yes? I suppose so. But what if you had no desire to play God? What if your desire was to alleviate human suffering, or to reshape the structure of human life as we see it, or to venture into the uncharted territories of science for the sake of the greater good? What if your desire felt noble and just? Oh, I think, my dear boy, that nature, and thereby science, has an innate sense of balance and that we must tread carefully so as not to disturb her beyond repair. Our desires may often feel as though they're motivated by goodness, but we must continually ask ourselves not whether we can do something, but whether we should. The line, you see, is often indistinguishable. <laughs> yes, indeed. But is science not an eternal quest to push past the limits of yesterday? Oh, we can push past the boundaries of knowledge without crossing into the realm of hubris, Victor. Science should always serve humanity, not dominate it. Quite right, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Farewell, Victor. Upon returning to my apartments, I discovered that the demon I had created was gone. My belongings lay on the floor, and my laboratory was in complete disarray. And yet, he was nowhere to be found. And so, unsure of his location and too exhausted to search, I spent much of the next month in bed. Nightly, I was terrorized by nightmares of the most hideous kind. Yellow eyes haunted my every step and the thumping of a heartbeat woke me from each encounter. My laboratory grew neglected, and my living quarters collected dust. I could barely see to my most basic needs. Weeks into my sickness, I awoke one morning from a particularly hideous nightmare, when I heard a carriage stop outside my apartment. Faintly, a familiar voice called my name. I am looking for a Victor Frankenstein. Is he in? My dear Frankenstein, how glad I am to see you. Clerval! Oh, my dearest Clerval! I cannot begin to express my joy at seeing your face. Good God, Victor. You look absolutely terrible. Are you all right? <laughs> I have been better. But your presence is a most welcome change. So... This is where the mysterious Frankenstein has been living all these months. Your workshop is here as well? My laboratory? Yes, indeed. Just that way. I see. Victor, are you sure you're quite all right? You are so thin and pale while you look as though you haven't slept in weeks. In truth, you have guessed right. I have, of late, been so deeply engaged in one occupation that I have not allowed myself sufficient rest. But I hope I 
sincerely hope that all these employments are now at an end and that I am at length free. I am glad to hear it. Oh, my dear friend. I hardly know where to begin with what I am tasked to tell you. I wish that the nature of my visit was purely social, but I'm afraid that I bring sad tidings. I only ask that you do not hold what I'm about to say against me forever. What is the matter, Clerval? Victor, it concerns your brother, William. I'm so sorry to report that the boy is dead. Dead? What do you mean, dead, Clerval? Elizabeth was just complimenting his health in her most recent letter. I'm so sorry, but it appears that he was murdered, my dear friend. His body was found in the woods near your father's home. Poor Elizabeth found him. They were playing amongst the trees when he stopped answering her calls. She went looking for him, and after a few minutes of searching, found his lifeless body hidden behind a tree. His poor neck was bruised and broken. I left that very evening, and I've come to collect you and bring you home. How could someone kill something so innocent? A mere child! Oh, William, he was the sweetest soul that ever lived. We must continue your haste, Clerval, and leave at once. I will call for a horse. You may guess at the emotions that plagued me on my journey home. My mind first fixated on memories of my sweet brother. Images of his face, his small hand in mine. Yet as the days wore on, my mind began to turn towards those of us left behind. My poor father and Elizabeth. Oh, how they must be grieving this loss. These thoughts spurred me onward. After days spent on horseback, we finally arrived at my father's estate. I scanned the distant hills surrounding the house, transfixed by their beauty. Oh, how I had missed these views. When my eye suddenly caught sight of something, a figure, tall and foreboding, lurched slowly along the distant tree line. Could it be? A scream caught in my throat. He had followed me all this way. But how? Hello, Elizabeth? I have returned with Victor. Victor? Clerval? I am so relieved to see you both. My dearest Lizzie, I can't Oh, Victor, I am so sorry, but... Your poor father, well... He held on as long as he could, but the loss of your brother was just too much for his heart. He's gone now, Victor. He's joined William. Oh, my dear father... Sweet Elizabeth, how I wish we could have arrived sooner. We traveled just as fast as we could. I am so sorry to have left you alone. I am grateful that I could be here with Master Frankenstein in his final moments. Victor, your father, was too kind, too righteous for this world. I pray that he may find peace now with William and your mother. As do I. Come, Victor. We shall face these woes together, the three of us. We shall find a way through, I promise. The next few days were spent in a near sleepless fog. With Elizabeth's help, I did my best to put my father's estate in order. But all the while, I was plagued with a terrifying thought. 
What if my monstrous creation was the reason for William's death? What if he had murdered my dear brother? I decided that I must venture forth into the woods and confront the fiend myself. The following evening, I readied myself to search out the malefactor. I was almost at the front door when I caught sight of Elizabeth. She lay coiled on the sofa in the study, her nose in a novel. I felt myself smile for the first time in days, and a sudden urge came over me to talk to her about our engagement. Lizzie. Hmm? I have quite a serious matter that I'd like to discuss with you. Of course. Are you all right? Yes, yes, I'm fine. It is not a serious matter in the sense that it is sad, but rather a serious matter regarding its importance. And while it is something we have discussed before, I feel that given the current state of events, you may feel differently with- <laughs> Goodness, Victor. You ramble more than a minister on a Sunday. Please tell me what is on your mind. <laughs> I am rambling, aren't I? Well, if I may be frank, it is regarding our pending marriage. I know that we had discussed marrying near the end of the year, but given the last several weeks, well, I should like to marry with more immediacy. I love you, Elizabeth. I have always loved you. And for the past several months, perhaps even years, I have begun to feel as though I float through this world with no tether. I now sense the importance of grasping firmly to the things, rather, to the people that we love. And so while I know that it may be rushing things a bit, I should like to get married as soon as possible. Would you consider it? Well, Victor, if you insist on rushing things, who am I to stand in the way of true love? <laughs> <laughs> in truth, my dear, I can imagine no greater joy than calling you my husband. And I should like to, sooner rather than later. I should like that too. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful news, my love. How long do you think we might need to plan? Uh, perhaps a month? Or... <laughs> well, you will be testing my resourcefulness. But yes, I think we can plan to marry in a month. My, my, the prospect enlivens me. As it does for me, my dear. As I left the study that evening, my steps were lighter than they had been in months. The thought of marrying Elizabeth filled me with an excitement I had never known. Quickly, however, my mind raced back to the terrifying sight I'd seen days earlier. If I was to marry Elizabeth, I needed to ensure that my monstrous creation remained nowhere near us. I quickly grabbed my hat and my cloak and journeyed out into the night. I know you are here, demon! Show yourself! I have questions that only you can answer! Come forth, fiend! Meet your creator and answer for the time you have spent away from me! <laughs> I do not know whether you are brave or foolish to seek me alone. It is neither bravery nor foolishness that drives my desire to speak with you, but rather necessity. Now be blunt. My brother William, did he die at your hands? In a way, he did. 
But it was only due to your negligence and gross creation. Therefore, creator, your hands are also bloody in his death. My god. William. But he was merely a child. An innocent. Why should you kill him? Please, I beg of you. Explain why you should do such a thing. By the virtues that I once possessed, I demand this from you. Hear my tale. On you it rests whether I quit forever the neighborhood of man and lead a harmless life, or become the scourge of your fellow creatures and the author of your own speedy ruin. Will you listen? I will. It is with considerable difficulty that I remember the original era of my being. All the events of that period appear confused and indistinct. A strange multiplicity of sensations seized me, and I saw, felt, heard, and smelt at the same time. Upon first opening my eyes to this world, I was struck with the image of a horror-filled face that recoiled from my presence and fled the space in which I was newly awakened. Upon reflection, I now know this face was none other than my creator. Oh, God. Oh, God. Please forgive me. Victor Frankenstein, what have you done? I rolled off of the table the very seat of my creation and struggled with the movement of my newly formed limbs. Eventually, I stumbled out into the night and wandered in search of shelter. In time, I found myself at the edge of a forest. Without any knowledge of whom to seek or where to travel, I followed the light of the moon and wandered into the trees. I did not stop until my legs threatened me with failure around daybreak. On the cusp of collapsing from exhaustion, I stumbled out of the trees into an opening. There, on the opposite side of the meadow, was a humble cabin. Wary of what I might find, I slowly progressed toward the lodging and its attached hovel. I longed for a place that would shield me from the tormenting elements outside. Upon entering the hutch and finding it unoccupied, I fell into a fitful, exhausted sleep. It was hours later when I was awoken by the sound of voices filtering in. Through further exploration of my shelter, I discovered a small chink in the back wall that allowed light to filter through. As I peered through the hole, I observed the strangest, most delightful scene. A young man and woman helped an elderly gentleman to sit down in front of a comforting fire. Oh, thank you both. Yes, this warmth relaxes the stiffness in my joints. Please, fetch me my cane, Felix. I shouldn't like to leave it in a place I cannot find later. Of course, Father. Here it is, now leaning against your chair. Ah, yes, thank you. 
Agatha, darling, what have you been able to harvest from the garden? Anything of substance for today's meal? Alas, this earth continues to be stubborn in her offerings. But I have a few potatoes and carrots that will make as fine a stew as any once I'm done with them. Oh, yes. That they will, my dear, that they will. Uh, fetch me my guitar, Felix. The least I can do with these useless eyes is play a remembered melody while you set about your work. As those first notes floated into my hovel, I was certain that nothing had ever been more beautiful in all the world. The voices and words of the cottagers became a music of their very own, and while I had yet to fully appreciate their meaning from behind my unlearned ears, the playing of the elderly man stirred such feelings of joy and excitement within me. I longed to burst through my hovel's wall and thank the creatures who might produce such sounds. Yet, I was instantly held back by the memories that had introduced me to this world. And I refrained. For many days, I observed these humble cottagers. I saw the care with which they treated one another. While I did not understand their words, a part of me began to understand what love and acceptance might look like, and I grew hopeful. Late one night, I ventured forth from my hovel and found a small pool within the nearby forest. I was grateful to have finally found a source from which to quench my thirst. Upon viewing my reflection in its waters, however, I grew to understand that my appearance differed vastly from those of my beloved cottagers, where I saw beauty, symmetry, and warmth upon their faces. A hideous facsimile reflected itself back to me. I was horrified. I had watched my cottagers for many days and weeks and had begun to believe that I was a part of their world, that I too existed within their lives. Yet that evening, as I stared at my own reflection, I was forced to acknowledge my horrific appearance. I now understood that I might never be able to reveal myself to these new friends. Many days passed in which I spent my daylight hours sleeping or observing the cottagers, while my nights were spent exploring the world around me. I was amazed at the vitality of nature, much of which existed while the cottagers slept. The owl, the crickets, and the toads were all sources of constant amusement. I marveled at the many sights and sounds reserved for nocturnal hours. Some nights I might spend an entire evening following the trail of a fox, watching it as it darted through the darkness on a hunt. On other nights I gazed in amazement at the vastness of the sky. I realize now that these were the happiest days of my existence. Evenings spent under the stars, greeted and welcomed by the celestial hosts above me, it was, perhaps, 
the only time I felt a true sense of belonging in this world. And yet, I knew that this life could not last forever. Its demise began with the arrival of a stranger. Oh! Let me see who it is. No, Agatha, please. I, I shall look. It is strange for someone to be visiting so unannounced. Stay over there, by father. Oh, why, hello, miss. Are you lost? English, I cannot. Food? Fire? Of course, of course. Please come in. Poor thing. She must be starving. To be out there all alone? Why, I can't even imagine. Who is it, Felix? She appears to be a traveler. Her clothing is torn and dirty, and she seems to have been on the road for many days. Here, take this bread. I baked it this morning. My name is Agatha. This is Felix. This is our father, DeLacy. And you? What's your name? Name? Agatha. Felix. DeLacy. You? Ah, name. Sophie. Name Sophie. These were my very first words. While I grasped that the sounds these humans made had meaning, I had not been able to find a way of relating the sounds to their definitions. Yet now, through the cottager's education of this young woman, I too became a pupil. Ah, hello, Felix. Look. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks. It is the east and Joel, Jolly. <laughs> Juliet. Your reading is coming along quite nicely. You've also picked one of my favorite pieces. And Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon who is- No, no. You go too quickly. What was that last word? Invos? Envy? Envious. It means that you are jealous. In this particular instance, Romeo is comparing Juliet to the sun. He says that the moon is envious or jealous of Juliet's beauty. Envious. I would say I am envious of your English. Yes, you could say that. <laughs> you are inspiring in your study, Sophie. You have progressed so quickly with your learning. I am envious of your quick mind. And Juliet is the sun. Well, it is thanks to your schooling. Thank you, Felix. I do not know how I ever will repay you for the kindness that you and your whole family has shown me. Sophie, you should just... stay. If you want to, of course. Oh, no, I, I, I could not. You have all been so kind, but I know that I soon must... What I mean, Sophie, is that I would like you to stay. You are 
wonderful, Sophie. I can no longer imagine what my life, what our lives might look like without you. Our home is your home, if you would like it to be. Thank you, Felix. I've never had a family like yours. I should like to stay. I cannot imagine anywhere else I'd rather call home than a place that has you in it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe that was wrong thing to say. No, not at all. I think that was the perfect thing to say. Home. In my observations of Felix and Sophie, I began to understand love and companionship. This lesson in humanity proved even more impactful than the language that I had begun to understand. I longed for someone who might smile and care for me in the ways that the cottagers did for one another. And yet, the more I observed them, the more impossible a future meeting began to appear. Until one day, an idea struck that would allow me to greet these beloved creatures without horrifying them. I would engage the elderly man first, using his inability to see me as my protection. I would wait for the opportunity to speak to him until I knew he was alone. The young people would occasionally forage for food in the forest, so I knew that the moment would strike. Not long after my plan had formed, an opportunity presented itself, and I knew that I must act quickly. Uh, come now, hands. Don't fail me now. Ah. Hello? Felix? Agatha? My apologies, sir. I am a weary tra traveler, and I spotted your cottage from the road. If I might trouble you for some water and the warmth of your fire, I will sh shortly be on my way. Oh, 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 of course. Please, come in, come in. There's a pitcher on the table, and there should be a stool near the fire. I apologize if any of my directions are wrong. I am blind, you see, and my children may have moved things without my knowing. Worry not, sir. I see the pitcher and stool exactly where you said. Good. Good. Have you traveled far, my man? Your voice is interesting in its accent, and yet I cannot place where it might be from. Not far, sir. I am journeying to the home of some friends in the hopes that they will welcome me to stay with them for a while. Ah, ah. It's good to be in the company of friends. Do your friends live around here? Well, what are their names? I might know them and be able to better direct you from here. They do indeed live around here. However, I am not sure that they will accept me into their home. I have found that my appearance can come as a shock to many, and it is rare for human beings to look past the shell in which I inhabit. Uh, oh, come now. Surely, if 
They're kind people. They will look past something as superficial as the beauty of a face. I've spent but a few moments in your company, and yet I find you perfectly respectful and warm. I am happy to hear you say that, sir. No. Why, they so quickly returned. What, What was that, sir? I'm afraid I could not hear you. Ah, that sounds like my children. Here, perhaps they may better direct you to your friends. No! Please, sir, please, beseech them on my behalf. You are the friends I seek. It is your life I have watched day after day, and I know you to be kind. Get off me! Why, Why do you clutch at me so? What do you mean by these nonsensical sentences? Get off him, you fiend! Please, please, let me explain. I... Out! If you ever return, I can promise you will not leave alive. Father, are you all right? How did that monster find you? I flew from the cottage as quickly as my battered body would carry me. While I was deeply saddened that these humans could not see the same kindness in me that I had witnessed in them, I was primarily... Angry. Angry at the creator who had made me so singularly deformed. I was without companion, without any soul that might welcome me into its life. For the very first time, feelings of anger and hatred filled my heart, and I did nothing to control them. My feet doubled back toward the cottage as if by their own accord. Get out, you monster! How dare you! I am not a monster. Felix, are you all right? Father! Come, we must get out. Take my arm. Run, Sophie! Grab Felix and run! I am not a monster! What is happening? Agatha, is Felix all right? I've got him, sir. Come, into the woods. I am not the monster. You are the monsters. As if by a fit of insanity, I destroyed the cottage. I tore apart the plans of wood and burned it to the ground. This place that had once been my only source of comfort and joy was now reduced to ashes. When I was certain that nothing could be done to save the home, I stumbled back into the forest and scanned the trees for the cottagers, but they were gone. I resolved to fly far away from the scene of my misfortunes, but whither could I go? As I wandered aimlessly through the woods, two words floated into my mind from my earliest memories. Victor Frankenstein. I stopped. The first time I had heard this name, I could not comprehend its meaning. Yet, after my months of education, these early sounds emerged as never before. I came to realize that it was you, Victor Frankenstein, that had condemned me to this life of solitude.
Some days after, I led a miserable life in those woods, endeavoring to cure the wound which I had received. During my wandering, I stumbled upon a child. He playfully ran away from someone else in sport, and I observed him for a while. <laughs> you can't catch me, Elizabeth! I'm faster than lightning! As I gazed upon the child, an idea seized me. This young child was unprejudiced and had lived too short a life to be abhorred by my deformity. I might educate him and raise him to be my companion and friend. Let me go, please! Be still! Child, or you will never see your father again. No! My father is Master Frankenstein, and he won't let you take me. He will find me. He will let go of me. Please! Frankenstein, you say? It cannot be. And yet, it must be so. You belong to my sworn enemy. By nature of your heritage, you shall be my first victim. desolation. Frankenstein is not immune. This death will be the first of many horrors that I enact upon him for his reckless creation of me. And so, I spent days wandering around the site of the murder, waiting for you to appear. Now, having finally told you my story, I come to you with a request. Make me a companion, a woman equal to my deformity and nature. This alone can you do, and I demand it of you, as is my right. I do refuse it. Shall I create another like yourself, whose joint wickedness might desolate the world? I am malicious because I am miserable. Am I not shunned and hated by all mankind? Tell me why I should pity mankind more than mankind pities me. If you consent, neither you nor any other human being shall ever see me or my companion again. The picture I present to you is peaceful and human. Pitiless as you have been towards me, I now see compassion in your eyes. Come, you must see reason in my request. You swear to be harmless, but have you not already shown a degree of malice that should reasonably make me distrust you? My vices are the children of a forced solitude that I abhor. My virtues will necessarily arise when I live in communion with an equal. If you do not afford me this most basic demand of human decency, I will haunt you all your days and be a scourge on humanity. This I swear. I consent to your demand. 
On your solemn oath that you shall quit forever the company of man as soon as I deliver to your hands a companion. This I do swear. I will watch your progress in this pursuit and will appear when she is ready. I watched him disappear into the forest, instantly doubting the deal I had just struck. Was I condemning myself and thereby the rest of humanity by selfishly saving those I loved? Alternatively, if I took this creature at his word, might I save humanity by providing my creation with a partner to walk this existence alongside? These thoughts trailed me on my way home. Hello? Hello? I'm home. Oh, Victor, my God, you scared me. I've been looking for you all morning and I couldn't find you. Please, for my sake, tell me when you decide to wander off during the night. After all that has happened, I assumed the worst. Oh, Lizzie, I'm fine. I just couldn't sleep and decided to clear my head for a bit. I know these woods like the back of my hand. I understand, but now that we are to be married in a few short weeks, you can't blame me for worrying over you. For all I knew, you might be in danger. Or perhaps getting into mischief. <laughs> no. Lizzie, no. I'm so sorry for worrying you, my dear. I'm quite safe, I assure you, and will do my best to stay out of harm's way until our wedding. Speaking of which, there's something I must tell you. I need to go away for a few weeks, but I shall be back in time for the festivities. Victor, why on earth could you possibly- Please don't ask me to explain, my dear. I'm sorry, but you must trust me. I will stay out of danger and will write as often as I can. Believe me, it is for our future that I must go away. I bear a heavy weight now, but it is with this trip that I will finally be rid of it. I trust you, Victor. However, please promise me that there will be no more secrets after our wedding day. I have been a witness to the burden that you describe and have longed for the jovial Victor I once knew. If it will take this mysterious voyage to bring him back to me, then I of course consent. There is one condition, however. Dearest, please, It is I... only one condition and an easy one at that. Take Henrietta with you. No. No, I cannot even- Please, Victor, I am begging you. You have succumbed to illness of both the body and mind too often before, and I will not be able to eat or sleep knowing that you are out there alone. Travel with Henrietta. Let her accompany you on this pilgrimage. Fine. I will speak with her this evening. Thank you, my love. And do not think that your agreement to take Henrietta absolves you from writing. I expect letters every week. <laughs> of course, my love. Of course. It is you whom I will be thinking of every moment of every day. I thought I might find you here. What are you reading this time? A romance novel. You know, if you continue to furrow your brow like that, you might start to resemble the many brooding love interests. <laughs> I don't know how you can stand that drivel. He hates me. He loves me. I love him. I hate him. <laughs> Elizabeth is a lucky woman to have found such a romantic as you for her future husband. You have no appreciation for the complexities of love, my dear friend. Not all of us are as lucky as you two, knowing your partner's mind more intimately than you know your own. 
some of us must actually work to find true love. Meanwhile, the two of you resemble a nice, calm lake in the Thank middle- you, Clerval, for that insightful simile. While it might shock you, I didn't come to you for your poetic descriptions of my love life. I have a favor to ask of you. All right. Ask. Though I swear I shall say yes regardless of what you say. I need to run some experiments, but in a more... remote setting. Given the awful events of the past few weeks, Elizabeth has demanded that I take you with me. Well, well, well. An adventure shrouded in mystery set in a peaceful countryside? Fine. I suppose I can accept this terrible favor. I must warn you, Clerval. It may be dangerous. I will be experimenting with something that is not benign in nature. And I cannot guarantee my own safety, let alone yours. I must ask you to be vigilant. And you must give me as wide a berth as possible when I ask it of you. That is a rather strange description, Victor. What is the nature of this work? I cannot tell you. Believe me, I wish I could. But I cannot. You must agree to this venture blindly. You are my oldest friend, Victor. The idea that you are putting yourself in danger only makes me wish to support you more. Of course I will come. I confess that I hope you might find it within yourself to trust me with this burden. But even if you cannot, I will gladly assist you in any way that I can. When must we leave? First thing tomorrow morning. Thank you, Clerval. I know it will give Elizabeth a great deal of peace to know that I do not venture forth alone. And Clerval, I swear to you, as I have sworn to her, that I will reveal all that I have experienced these past few months after the wedding. But until then, I cannot thank you enough for your blind faith. Arthur and Bedivere, remember? Arthur and Bedivere, my friend. We departed the next morning as promised. After traveling all day, we finally reached our destination come nightfall. An old cabin in the countryside with a detached shed at the back of the property. The cabin had once been a hunting retreat for my grandfather, while the shed had been used to process and store game. Now it would be the site of a grim creation. Clerval agreed to leave me to my work in the shed and to only call from the house if she required my immediate attention. The next evening, I departed for the nearby town cemetery with my horse, an empty saddlebag, and a shovel. I see that you are a man of your word. God damn you! You frightened me! I am only doing what you have requested. Must you continually stalk me? It is not God that has damned me, but you. I now have a vested interest in your success with this endeavor, and so it is only wise that I ensure its completion. You shall not see me again until she is finished, but know that I am always nearby, watching you and your companion. Return to your work. Frankenstein.
Over the coming days, I worked tirelessly, and the days began to blur together. She is ready. It must be tonight. Dear God, please forgive me for the second horror that I must unleash upon the world. Please know that I have only created this abomination to save those that I love. No. No, no, I cannot! It is not I that should condemn the world to such a curse! Do you dare break your promise to me? I do! Never will I create another like you! You shall live to regret this decision for all the days of your life, Frankenstein! Victor? Victor, are you alright? I heard you screaming. Victor! Clorval! No! Stay where you are! Don't... Victor, what has happened? Are you... <gasps> no! Clorval! I have warned you, Victor. It is you who is her murderer, not I. You have brought this upon yourself. I will be with you on your wedding night. Oh, God! Henrietta, I am so sorry. So, so, so sorry. I could not explain Clerval's death without condemning my listener to a similar fate. Nor could I leave my laboratory in its current state, lest someone might stumble upon it and embark upon the same misdeeds as myself. And so, I burned it all to the ground. Goodbye, my dear friend. I did not deserve you. Hello? Elizabeth? Lizzie? Where are you? Oh god, no. No, not yet! Not my Lizzie! I, I, I can't... I'm so sorry, dear. I was out in the garden, but... I'm so glad you've returned. In truth, after your most recent letter, I didn't expect you home for a few more days, but... Oh! What's this for, my love? You're holding me as though I should be dragged away from you. You cannot leave my sight, Lizzie. Not tonight at the wedding, not ever. I will tonight? not- Tonight? Why, Victor, you've only just returned. Take some time to settle in. We've waited this long, what's another week? Now where's Henrietta? I only see your horse outside. She has decided to stay a few more days at the hunting cabin. She found the solitude calming and suggested that I return on my own. She was, rather is, unsure when she will return. Well, did you inform her of our immediate plans to marry? Victor, what's wrong? Your eyes are so bloodshot and your face is pale. You're practically swaying on your feet. Come upstairs and rest. I'll oh, no! Please begin the wedding preparations. Call the minister right away, for we must be married tonight. Why, Victor, this is ridiculous. While I know that I promised you that I would not inquire about the nature of your trip, it has clearly altered you. What has happened with your studies? Are you quite all right? In truth, Lizzie, no. I am not all right. 
but I shall reveal everything as soon as we are married and gone from this place. Might we use your family's summer home for our honeymoon? We could journey there tonight. Of course, Victor, of course. But please, I ask you to explain this haste. It makes no sense to suck- Elizabeth! I cannot! Why can you not understand that? I am so sorry, my love. I am exhausted. I rode all night to get here. You are quite right. I shall take your advice and rest for a little while. But please, whilst I do so, might you summon the minister? I do not wish to live another day without you as my wife. If that is what you wish, then I shall, my love. Please rest, and know that I only push this because I care for you. I love you, Victor. I know, Lizzie. I know. I am thankful every day for your care. We were married that very evening at home. The minister and a witness were the only guests in attendance. While I felt half mad with exhaustion and unvoiced grief, our marriage is still one of my happiest memories. Come, Lizzie. The carriage is loaded. We're ready to go. Coming. Oh, I forgot my other suit. One more moment, my husband. <laughs> what a funny thing to hear myself say. For all these years, you have been my friend. And yet now I must learn a whole new way of referring to you. Yes, my love, it is a fascinating thing. But please, would you hurry? I do not wish to arrive at the estate too late. Ah! Elizabeth! No! No! You fiend! It is I you want, not her! Please, put her down and take me instead. Please, I beg of you! She is innocent in all of this! You already made your choice, Frankenstein. No! Goodbye, creator. You devil! I curse your creation. So long as I live, I will hunt you. I will tear you apart at the seams that I created. Oh, God. My Lizzie. My love. I am so sorry. What have I done? And so, pursue him I have. <coughs> I have traveled this earth twice over in my pursuit, and yet he is always two steps ahead of me. One week ago, he led me to this blasted piece of earth, and I have known since I set foot upon its icy plains that it is where my journey ends. You must understand now, Walton, why this pursuit is of the utmost importance to me. Will you promise me something? You must swear to me that he shall not live. Swear that he shall not triumph over my accumulated woes and continue to add to his list of dark crimes. <coughs> Please, man, swear it. I do swear it, sir. I promise. That provides me with more peace than I can express. Thank you, Captain. When I was younger, I believed myself destined for some great enterprise. 
I now see that it was that ambition that has led me to my death. When you see this fiend, do not hesitate, Captain. Strike quickly and without remorse. <laughs> Think on the many innocents that have died at his hand. Be brave, man. I will, sir. I will have the men on constant watch and will face the monster as soon as he is sighted. Good man. The die is cast. I will not live to venture out of this room. But I leave this world easily knowing that the fight does not end with me. <coughs> Thank you, Captain, for listening to my story and for carrying on what I could not. May God bless your travels and grant you safety when you face this fiend. Sir? Victor? Has he gone so quickly? Look! Over there! Out on the ice! The other sled! It's heading this way, it seems! Captain! Captain! There's something approaching the ship! Will I be called upon so soon to complete this morbid promise? Fear I am too late? Yet another life that has been claimed by my hands. Captain, are you all right? Get back, you demon! Leave the door! I must handle this myself. I have heard your entire tale, and will strike if you take one step more towards his body. You say you have heard all. Then you are privy to my creation and subsequent downfall. I am. I know that my current actions may seem incongruent with the picture that Frankenstein has painted of me, yet I have not come here to claim another victim, but rather to plead for his forgiveness. What? Why? After all that you have destroyed, all those you have harmed, why do you now repent? It has been through our journeying that I have come to realize the fault in my revenge. I have taken so many innocent lives and yet expected man to trust me. How could he? How might a lamb look upon a lion and trust that he shall not be harmed? Don't move. I told you to stay back. I swear to you, I mean no harm. You may lower your weapon. Step back by the window and I will. I have failed. In seeking the company of others, I have transformed into their greatest nightmare. I desired love and fellowship, and I was spurned. Yet was there no injustice in this? Am I thought only criminal when all humankind sinned against me? This cannot absolve you of your sins. What would you have me do? If I let you leave, I am then responsible for your future actions. I owe it to humanity to ensure that you do not harm another soul. Please, do not destroy me simply because of what I have been. Let me leave and live as I must, alone. This shall be my penance. I now understand that I do not exist to feel companionship with fellow beings, 
but rather to be a companion unto the earth. For many days my mind has been consumed by thoughts of my time spent in the forest and the peace that I felt alone in those woods. It shall be enough to stay and inhabit this desolate, beautiful land. I will no longer seek the company of man. Of this, I swear. Thank you, Captain. Goodbye, good Frankenstein. we draw the heavy curtain on this strange and harrowing tale. As we bid farewell, remember that in the vast uncharted corners of this world, mysteries linger and legends endure. If ever that fiend grows weary of his lonely existence, we must all remain vigilant. For as we have learned tonight, the shadows hold secrets that refuse to be forgotten. Thank you for joining us on this journey through the timeless masterpiece, Frankenstein. This production was adapted and directed by Lauren Zabilski and Helena Miller, with sound engineering by Carlos Fonseca and Cameron Smithson. It was executive produced by Lauren Zabilski and James Hale, and produced by Mad Company Theatre. Our cast included Maddie Albrecht as Victor Frankenstein, Max Brand as The Creature, Kira Dooley as Elizabeth, Tori Jewell as Mary Shelley, Sophie, and Mother, Juliet Kimball as Henrietta Clerval and Agatha, John Mucci as Professor Waldman, Father, and Lacey, and Andres Robledo as Captain Walton, Felix, and William. It is because of supporters and listeners like you that Mad Company is able to produce new and exciting productions please consider donating at the link provided in the show page or on our website at madcompanytheater.com. Tune in next year for another harrowing, horrifying tale from the creative minds at Mad Company.